Hey everyone, welcome back to the Eminem Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host Chase McCallum, and we are back today with some more hockey to talk about. Um, lots of stuff that has happened since we last recorded. We recorded Monday afternoon and posted for that night. Um, there's four games that night, three games last night, and there's two in the night we're recording. It is Wednesday at 9 p.m. currently. The Florida Panthers hold a 2-1 lead on the Boston Bruins, so we'll maybe hold off on talking about that series because that's the only game that's gone on since we last uh, last spoke, Chase. But um, a couple other series have taken place, that's for sure, and I don't think there's any point in beating around the bush. Let's just get into it. The Toronto Maple Leafs, hashtag it was 4-1. Storm back and win it in overtime to take a 3-1 series lead on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Who are these Leafs? Um, We're so back. It's so fucking back. One more to go. And it's funny, you know, there's a lot of people. I, I think Leaf fans are confident, but rightfully so. I mean, I haven't really seen too many Leaf fans that are overreacting in terms of we're going to the cup or anything like that. A lot of them are like, this is sick, but also we've won three games six years in a row or whatever it is now. Right. Like it's yeah. uh it's the fourth. That's the hardest, but I mean, I'll give the least credit. That was quite the, how many times have we said just naturally speaking, but even, you know, in game one, they came out down four four goals or whatever. And it was just game over. They just looked, they, they skated the third period. Like they knew the game was over. Whereas, you know, I thought they played horribly for the first period and a half or so of game four against Tampa, but uh, that third period, they, they took the game pretty well to Tampa. Tampa was sitting back just trying to defend a lead and got burned doing it. Yeah, they, I was pretty tilted watching it because of how they started, but they, they turned it on pretty aggressively. Like they, they won the deserve to win a meter and everything, despite the fact that they were getting absolutely filled in to start the game. Like, I don't think they caught them in shots until overtime. Yeah, uh, Brian Hayes on, on TSN Overdrive put it the best that I heard this week, and he said they stole game three, they came back and took game four from the Tampa Bay Lightning, and I think that's a pretty yeah. accurate way of, of putting it. Yeah, that is a good way of putting it. And, you know, if anyone's thinking, well, those are the same thing. No, like game three, they did not deserve to win game three. The deserve to win a meter was not in their favor. Uh, they, they looked outplayed for large, large stretches of that game, whereas game four, there was parts where they definitely looked at the first period. They looked completely lost and even the start of the second, but then um, in that end of the third period and overtime, like they dominated overtime. And then as soon as they got that power play, you kind of felt like it was game over and it ended up being the second unit. Funny enough that uh, that redeems himself, but um, there's a lot of talking points here. And, and part of me wants to wait until they get the last game, <laughs> you know, like I, I, like I don't want to do too much of this. And then we're, we're sitting here in a week going, what the hell happened? Because I'll be honest. I do remember. I fully remember us recording on a Thursday when they were up three, one against the Montreal Canadians. And to the point where we had started previewing the next series because we're like, Oh, the Oilers got swept by the jets. The Leafs are up 3-1. It is going to be Jets and Leafs. Let's preview this. And then an episode yeah. goes by, and a full episode goes by, and we go, there's a game seven tonight. That's not good. And then they lose again. So obviously don't want to put the cart before the horse. This Toronto team is better than that Toronto team, uh, I think. But, you know, at the same time, it's I don't want to talk too much about, like, oh, how did they win the series? Because they haven't done that yet. But um, you want to talk about talking points. Marner, Nylander, Riley, Matthews, and Tavares. 
those are the five guys I think you would put all the pressure on and say, if we're winning a series, it has to be on the back of these five guys. They haven't got it done for six years in a row. They all had multi-point games last night. Yeah, exactly. And like Nylander was rightfully taking a lot of heat, but I mean, he ended with three assists, draws the penalty to uh, put them on the power play in overtime. He's the entry guy on that second power play. I think he picked up an assist on the winner and everything. Like Matthew started to look really, really good. Playoff Riley's back. Yeah. It's yeah, it, it was sign. yeah, and what I'm really liking about this Leafs uh, playoff series so far, and there was a really good article on it, and I'm just trying to find it right now, not on the Leafs specifically, but on um, playoff hockey, and just like uh, they used hockey viz basically, or or a, viz, a similar one to hockey viz, anyways. Let me ooh, who wrote this article? Give me one second here, um, but basically said like, oh, it was um. Um, I'm blanking on his name from the wing wheel pod. Um, Ryan Hanna. No, no, no. Um, why am I blanking on his name? I apologize. Uh, but basically it was, it was a study just shown that the, um, the bulk of goals in, in the playoffs come from the front of the net. Um, oh, it was Prashanth, wasn't it? Prashanth. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so uh, much. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. Um, but yeah, he, he did a, he had a good article on basically he looked into how, you know, obviously it's no secret in the regular season, you're going to score more from in front of the net as well. But a lot of the goals are those greasy net front goals, a comparison of where goals are scored in the regular season. Teal Teal is mostly in the slot between the two circles and close to the net, of course. And then in the playoffs is purple purple is right in the middle of the slot. And then a big purple space right on the outside of each side of the crease. So it's a lot of just greasy rebound stuff. What the Leafs have done amazingly in this job is just standing in front of Asileski. So he cannot see like they are just, their game plan is put three guys to the net and then get a point shot going. And usually I hate that, but against a guy as good as Vasilevsky, you need to just get him not being able to see. Yeah, they need to. Yeah, you, you can't let Vasilevsky do his thing, right? I'm a, I'm a little nervous when everybody's talking about all of the tip stuff that like. I don't think it's as much plan. tips as it is just being able to pick up rebounds in front of. And honestly, we've seen just shots. Well, did you clean. see the, the deflection thing on TV? No, I did not. The thing that they um, did a study and it was like, that's Vasilevsky's weakness or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I feel like deflections are any goalie's weakness. It's a puck changing changing directions through two feet away from you. Well, that and I'm just kind of nervous at the idea that like you would try to beat the best goalie in the world via point shots. <laughs> this yeah, like, seemed like a long run winning strategy. Yeah, I, like it's, I mean, you got to do, and, and the Leafs are doing more than this, but you got to do more than just bomb point shots away too, right? Yes. But, yeah. But yeah, but you I, do need to get everything in front of, yeah. get humans in front of him, I guess. Exactly. Well, like the perfect example is that tying goal in game three from Ryan O'Reilly, where Nylanders puts it on, O'Reilly's in front of the net, it hits Vasilevsky, but a rebound's right there for a dude standing right on the crease, and that's, I don't know if the Leafs didn't do that in years past or if they just didn't get the bounces in years past or what, but um, they're definitely getting the bounces right now and uh, they have a 3-1 series lead heading back home. Yeah, finally. Well, finally against Tampa. It was 2-2 last year, right? Yes, and then they won game five and then dropped six and seven, I want to say. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I just... Uh, 
it's exciting to see. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously I joke back and forth with, uh, with Leaf fans a lot and, you know, talk about how insufferable their fan base can be at times, but at the same time, like I am happy for the people that I'm friends with that they're getting to, uh, hopefully experience some joy, but I, I'm still not putting all my eggs in that basket. This is the Toronto Maple Leafs we're talking about. Yeah. I'm waiting for them to blow it. What are your thoughts on bunting, not coming back in the lineup, even though he's done a suspension? It's seems really unwise to me. How about you? Yeah, I think he should be in for Sam Lafferty. Um, yeah. Mike Johnson made a pretty good point on, on overdrive day that I was listening to, or maybe it was yesterday. I think it was yesterday, but he had said like the reason he can kind of see him not going in for Lafferty is they use that fourth line in a very defensive role and bunting's not a really good defensive forward. But I guess my argument was, would be, I don't think Lafferty's an extremely Good that defensive forward either. <laughs> like, First thing I said too. Like I think Lafferty has fine defensive results, but it's not like he's not like he's more of a net positive than Bunting. Yeah, I don't know. I I go back and forth. I, I get this is a lineup that's won three games in a row now, so you go with the why would you mess with it? But I've I've often kind of thought that kind of points. So you don't know why you're winning. You're just winning, which is bad. Very <laughs> bad process. Yeah. Well. Basically, the question's as simple as, is Michael Bunting one of your 12 best forwards? The answer is yes. You should probably try to find a way to get him in the lineup. The, was... the question is, is Bunting one of your nine best forwards? The answer is still yes, at which point you really need him in the lineup. And then you could probably go, is he one of your six best forwards? And the answer is still plausibly yes. So you really, really need to get him in the lineup. Yeah, like he was their fifth leading scorer this year. And even if you want to say, okay, O'Reilly's in, so now he's sixth or whatever, it's like that still. Yeah. And like even Matthew Nice has looked really, really like I, I'm so impressed with his game. We talked about it last episode as well, but like, sure, you want to say he's in the lineup, that's fine. But like Kerfick can slide down to the, the third line and, and play defensive minutes or whatever for Lafferty. Like Lafferty can come out, Bunting can play on line three, and Kerfick can slide down to line four. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, Bunting's. That's a very good way of thinking about it, yeah, because even if he's not exactly up there, like, there's no way he doesn't belong in this lineup. Yeah, and, like, Kerfoot actually has really good defensive results. Maybe he was already on line four, I guess, as well, but the blunders were coming out. Like, if you run something like Nyes, Matthews, Nylander, or Marner, put that other one there, and then the opposite with Tavares and Yarncroke in the top six, and then you run Bunting, O'Reilly, um... Achari and then Camp Kerfoot and um who am I missing on that fourth line? Ashton Reese. Ashton Reese, thank you. And the Lafferty's the man out. Like I that seems fine to me. That makes sense. That's probably how I would do it. But I don't know. I think it'll be definitely if they lose game five, I think we will automatically see him in game six, which is probably a good pointer that he should probably be in game five just but... be in the lineup. <laughs> yeah i kind of feel the same That's way a... about uh i the one other person who is i mean obviously the whole team wants to be winning is lucky they're winning because this is a make or break year but the one person in terms of staying in the lineup who's thank his lucky stars they're winning justin hall justin hall is like like shit this series he's been on for yeah. like 75 percent of the goals against He's one in ten. Now that's all situations, but which is biased against the guy because Palmer. But like, yeah, Hulls looked awful, and he takes too much heat a lot of the time. But 
but not when you have a perfectly it's, good Timothy Lilligren sitting in that in the press box. Yeah, not when your best right-handed defenseman is in the press box. Yeah, so that's another one where I'm I'm surprised they haven't tried to get Lilligren. It doesn't seem like Keith trusts him as much, which bit of a shame. Um, I don't know. Like I, I get the whole big body or whatever, but I think Lilligren would be fine. You know, like I just I think that stuff's kind of overrated at times. Yeah, oh, hundred percent it is. But well, we'll see. Um, you know, by the time we're recording next, the Leafs could. By the time we record our next podcast, the Leafs will either have won the series in five games, six games, or we will be previewing a game seven. So I'll cry. <laughs> I, I think a lot of our audience will be in the same boat as you. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. So let's move on to another series. The New Jersey Devils tie up 2-2 against the New York Rangers. They fight their way back into this series. Um, as we were talking about, we were kind of laughing at it when it happened, but uh, Akira Schmidt has turned this season around for the New Jersey Devils. Yes, he has. Turns out the awesome team just needs a half decent goalie. Yep. Um, they looked pretty good too. I was flipping back and forth between that and the least game. And they looked, I thought game four was their best game. They finally outshot the, uh, or no, sorry. I think the shots were 23, 22 for the Rangers, but um, the, the devils had a, uh, were playing right with them and had the lead for a good chunk of the game, gave it up in the third period and then scored two more. Well, one was an empty netter. Um, the Rangers got absolutely ripped by their head coach after the game. Um, just saying we didn't come out with enough effort or whatever. Um, I, I don't know if I'd say that, but I definitely think it was the best uh, game. The devils have played this series and suddenly going, losing two at home, you go on the road for two and you steal two more. I mean, now it's, it's a best of three and you have home ice advantage if you're New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. It's best case scenario, right? When you suck that much at your first, uh, first few home games. You want to talk about uh, making a difference after getting scratched. Jonas Siegenthaler, I'm pretty sure he was scratched for the first three games, comes in and gets an assist and a goal. Makes a huge difference in this game as well. I'm waiting for Lil, you're going to do that for Toronto <laughs> too when he, uh, when he plays. Turns out scratching guy with your uh, with the uh, fantastic numbers on your decor, yeah, probably not a great idea. Yeah. Shocking, eh? Yeah, exactly. And then the late two games, this gave us even more to talk about as well. The Golden Knights beat the Jets 4-2, take a 3-1 series lead. Game uh, five of that is tomorrow as we're recording. I don't really love the Jets' chances. You know, if they would have stole one, maybe. But uh, Mark Shifley goes down during that game. He doesn't sound like he'll play game five, and Ehlers is a game-time decision. Obviously, Morrissey's already out. Um, you know, I was joking when Shifley went out. Maybe they'll try playing a little defense now. Um, but... There's, you know, there's no, no beating around the bush, losing um, Morrissey and um, Shifley hurts the team. You know, even, even if they're flawed players in their own end, this hurts the team. Oh, 100%, especially like when you're talking about like the non-linearity with Morrissey and, and they're a deeper team than, than I kind of give them credit for sometimes, but the Jets are still fairly top heavy. Like they're not a team made to sustain injuries like that no their top six is what they really rely on and then their third line checking line or whatever you want to call it but that only works if your top six is scoring at a, an incredible pace you know yes exactly and like half of their war on the blue line or whatever is concentrated in specifically morrissey too like it's just not a good scenario yeah exactly so um i don't yeah i, I don't feel awesome definitely about um 
about the Jets coming back in that series. I, I could see them stealing one maybe, but I, I don't know. I, I just think uh, Vegas looks like they're starting to roll. Uh, one that is maybe the, the one thing you can still point out where, you know, I think Hellebuck still has a game-stealing performance in them, and maybe that gets them back to one. But I'd be a little surprised if we're previewing a game seven for this in a couple of days. Yeah, that's what I was going to say too. Like, you tell me Hellebuck goes nuclear, wins one. That makes enough sense. But after that, it's going to get tough. If you would have told me, though, Seattle Kraken going to game five, tied 2 2 with the Colorado Avalanche with no Makar in the lineup and no Nachushkin as well, but no Makar because Makar did one of the most boneheaded things I've seen in a while. That was so bad. Oh, man. So we uh, we got to start with that. Uh, I mean, I again, like, I don't think the narratives change much in this series. Seattle's playing well. I kind of thought that they were going to lose game four, but I mean, wow, that happens. Uh, you know, the Makar gets. The, the most insane, um, what's more insane about this, that he only got one game or that they reviewed this play and decided, no, that's not a five-minute major, that's only two. The fact that they reviewed that and changed is insane. That's crazy, right? Like, that is one of the dirtier plays I've seen. And, like, I got in a debate on Twitter the other day about with a friend of the podcast, Jeff Felliet, and... You know, he was saying that was worse than the bunting hit. I was signing on. I don't think it's worse. But what I did end up coming on was at the very worst, at the very least, it is close to just as bad. You know, like they are they are different, but it could be equally as bad. And the fact that he only got one playoff game for that is absolutely insane. Yeah. Well, it's like you don't want that hit in your game. Like, I don't, I don't really get what the pushback could be. Right. People were comparing that to the Dale Hunter hit from years ago, which he got 20 games for in a playoff series. Yeah. And now one Dale Hunter had way more of a reputation than Kale McCarr. And even I still think that hit, if you haven't seen it, go look at it, put up Dale Hunter hit. And it'll be the first thing that comes up. But um, that one was way, way worse anyways. But still like the fact that it's even in the same breath of that should mean you're getting more than one playoff game. Yes, exactly. Well, the only vague defense of it I saw was like, oh, well, McCarr's not a dirty player, at least. It's like, yeah, well, that's fine, but you still suspend him pretty badly for something horrible. Yeah, he's like, not a dirty the... player until he does that multiple times until he is a dirty player. Exactly. Like, if that's all you have to fall back on, suspend him aggressively. Yeah, like, I'm not a criminal until I rob something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Once you've done it. Yeah, like, I'll be like, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm shocked that, that he only got one game. I thought for sure he was going to get two. I, you know, I wasn't expecting the book to be absolutely thrown on him, but, um, you know, it being him having a clean record definitely helped, which is fine. Like, again, if someone like Ryan Reeves or Brad Marchand or someone like did that, people are telling, you know, Tom Wilson, I know he's not in the playoffs, but like, I, people would rightfully be screaming for them to be suspended for like 40 games if they had yep. not 40, but like 15 or whatever, because they have a history, right? Where this is honestly one of the first dirty things I can ever remember McCarr doing, but it still deserves more than one game. Yes, exactly. But um, yeah, I mean, good on, good on Seattle though for battling back. Uh, hopefully McCann isn't out for too long. I, I didn't see his update for tonight's game. I don't think he's playing. But I'm not actually sure. Uh, I don't but think he I'll, is either. 
I would say that looked like a pretty good concussion as well, unfortunately. So, um, but we'll see. Um, And then the other thing uh, from that, that series has been Valerie Nantushkin, who is uh, not with the team for personal reasons. I don't really want to speculate. I've seen some stuff online, but you know, it doesn't, uh, you know, hope whatever he's going through, he can get through, you know, and come back on the other side of it, but it doesn't sound great. And it's, you know, they're not giving any details on it. So I don't want to speculate or anything, but it, on ice, it is a massive loss for a team that has already been really tested with their depth. Yeah. It's a huge loss for them. Again, like you said, it's not worth speculating, but especially the Avs lost a lot of depth this year to begin with. Like they're, they're going to struggle to get through if they are ready, if they keep losing what they already have to. Yeah. They lost like, a full second line basically in the offseason between Burakovsky, Kadri. Kadri. Um, maybe they didn't lose another second liner. Because I, I was feel thinking like they did lose a full line. I was thinking Brandon Saad, but he left two years ago. Okay. But yeah, um, but still, same. Same yeah, idea. Exactly. Like um it's you know, they and obviously Landeskog, like if you want to say would be the the other guy there, right? Who's not playing anymore. Um yeah. not through trade or anything like that. But um yeah, yeah it just it's <laughs> I mean, yeah, like they're gonna miss Natushkin. And if they don't have Natushkin and you know, like I wouldn't be at all surprised if Seattle beats them tonight without both Natushkin and Makar. Oh yeah, absolutely. I could see it. And now- then they still just, have the best player in the series and everything, but yep, absolutely. And the other thing is, how long do you trust Philip Grubauer to even hold a nine ten or whatever he's at? You know, yeah. Um, but yeah, like the, if they do get a game tonight, that means it is just one one more that they need, right? Like it's, you know, obviously that sounds simple or that you know that's obvious in reality, but like puts it into perspective. Like no, no, no like if they can steal one tonight, they are probably favored in the series if not it's 50 50 at the very worst which is insane. Oh, yeah. i never would have thought it would be close to 50 50 if you told me the abs and kraken were playing in a series at any point in the series they gotta be favored if they win tonight i would think even just doing the math let's say you favor colorado at 65 35 to win both games that means yeah like that break just doing the game that they have to win both yeah, yeah break down under fifty percent. Being in that spot, you have to win is tough. Yeah, so um, yeah, I don't know. Like, good on Seattle. I, I don't know. I it would be a cool story, obviously, beat the defending cup champs. But just from a from an entertainment aspect, I do think I'd prefer Colorado moving on. Just as I think Colorado, Dallas, or Colorado, Minnesota would be an excellent series. Yeah, it'd be cool for Seattle, but it'd be probably. I think the league wants Colorado to win. Yeah, I I, yeah, I definitely think that's fair. Um, and speaking of Dallas, Minnesota, Dallas takes a 3-2 series lead with a pretty convincing 4-0 win the other night. Um, they, man, they're a good team, dude. I, that's, all I, that's all I have to say about Dallas is I'm very, very feeling good about my uh, pick to have them winning the cup. Yes. Especially they, if they Colorado are, is as leaky as they look. Because, well, yeah, that the West gets fucking ugly fast if Colorado loses. 
Yeah, and they're like they're looking this good without Pavelski still, who's still hurt. Like, yeah. Um, I did you see the Felino knee on knee the other night? I did. That was that was pretty bad as well. That I don't was think he's horrible. Yeah, I don't think he's getting any extra discipline, which is fine. Like, I think five four kneeing early in the game that that's probably fine. I, I didn't think he needed extra. If he got one, I wasn't going to complain. But like, that was an ugly. Definitely five on the ice is what needed to be called there. Yes, a hundred percent. People are like trying to say he didn't have time to adjust. It's like he stuck his knee out to hit him. It's just like yeah. Like, well, the people get weird about that stuff in the playoffs. Like that's so obviously bad. Well, apparently, so I wasn't listening to the broadcast with sound, but apparently the broadcast was like trying to defend him as well. It's like, man, that's just like a blatant knee on knee where you could break a dude's leg doing that. Like. Yeah, that has to be five in a game pretty fast. Literally. So yeah, like that has to be five in a game every single time. Yeah. Not without blinking. Well, yeah. And then the other series that uh, occurred, Edmonton takes a six, three win against LA. They go up three, two. I'm not going to count LA out of this one by any means. You know, it's still, um, Still anyone series, but, you know, Edmonton, again, much like we said, if Seattle takes lead, like Edmonton, I think, was favored slightly going into the series anyway. So now the fact that L.A. has to win, too, I think is, you know, just going to be too tough of a task. But I could definitely see L.A. winning game six and it being a game seven in Edmonton again. Yeah, I could see them them pushing it at least, but I don't know. Them stopping Edmonton is going to be tough at this point. I um. You know what's hilarious? So, like, I we talked about this last episode, too, about how, like, LA is doing a lot to try and shut down McDavid, and, you know, he's been, quote-unquote, quiet, quiet, and that's leading to dry sidle. McDavid has eight points in five games this series as a, quote-unquote, yeah. quiet player. The whole, uh, they've shut, the word five-on-five five is doing a lot of work for the, they've shut McDavid down. But the most insane thing, I think, and just shows you how gross this guy is, I've been getting into betting goal totals and point totals and stuff. You know, they've had uh, most betting sites I've found, or not most, but especially like FanDuel I found has had Leon Dreisaitl at plus money to score a goal, um, a multiple of the past games. So I've just been cashing on that. I went to go look at Connor McDavid's. He's minus 130 to score a goal, score a goal. The best value using, you know, our, our friends at, you know, obviously they don't sponsor the podcast anymore, but Betstamp, you know, I still love using their app. They also have like, what's the best value? The best value is a, a site that, and it might, it might even be a glitch because I have never seen odds as low, but a, one site had McDavid at 0.5 is over under first point, minus 1,000. And that was better value, they were saying, because it was such a lock. He's going to get a point in a game <laughs> versus just a point. His normal line on most other books are two or two and a half. The over under for like books are putting this guy at two and a half points. They're expecting him to score per game. That's insane. I was that's, like, that's so silly. That's a little aggressive. But yeah, that is insane. But then you think about it. It's like, well, yeah, the dude had 153 in 82 games this year. So he was just yep. under that mark. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it just, oh my God, it's crazy. Um, yeah, I wouldn't bet the two and a half personally, but even like there was no book under one and a half that had hit, like, and even one and a half was minus odds. So you have to pay juice to get this guy above two points. That's hilarious. 
And that's got to be like one of the greatest compliments you can give a guy in this like era of thing, right? Just with how much we know goes into the sports betting stuff. Oh yeah. It's absolutely unhinged. So um, yeah, I, that that was something I wanted to bring up because I laughed the other night and I was going to text you and I was like, Oh, I'm just going to bring it up on the podcast. But that is the, one of the craziest things I think I've ever seen. That's disgusting. Like it's just I was I was especially when I saw how like gross like how much juice you had to pay just for him to score a goal I was like oh my gosh this is insane yeah that's awesome yeah um all right before we move on uh, I want to give a quick uh, shout out to our sponsors at Athletic Greens their signature AG one is perfect for daily nutrients and gut health support AG one solves two of the most important health needs the nutrients your body needs each day and the foundation of long-term gut health. Together, they fuel whole body health, impacting everything from sleep, digestion, energy, mood, immunity, to the health of your hair, skin, and nails. Simply follow the link in our show description and get started today. All right, so I think that is most of the series that we uh, that have taken place since last time we spoke. Um, I'm just trying to confirm that as well. Oh, and the Islanders, the Islanders beat the Hurricanes, I guess, in uh, Game Five. I don't know. I didn't watch a ton of that on much. I I kind of think the Hurricanes take it six. Still, like I just the Hurricanes just feel like the better team. Yeah, even injured. This was a Soro. We we talked about last episode though. Sorokin and stolen. This was a Sorokin stolen game. Hurricanes outshot the Islanders thirty six to twenty two. Yeah, I felt like if the Islanders were going to win this series, that was going to have to happen a lot. Pierre Engvall golden assist. Finally in on the board because he had enough until that point, right? No, I don't think he had. Yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. So Seattle. Uh, go, go, sorry, no, I just said I miss Engvall. Oh yeah, he was he was a guy who probably took too much crap in, in Toronto as well. But I, I think people just saw a six four six foot four body and didn't understand why he wasn't checking everything in sight. Yeah, that's a hundred percent what it was. Meanwhile, he's yeah. just like a perfectly effective third line player. It's okay that he and he like screwed up like he wasn't a great shooter. It's like, well, let me tell you a little secret about most teams third liners. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Um, but yeah, Kraken Avalanche going night in game five. And as we're talking, Panthers and Bruins are tied 3-3 in a pretty pretty exciting game. Um, that's gone back and forth. Again, I don't think it really matters what happens in this game five. I would be shocked if the Panthers make it through the Bruins. Um, they switched to Bobrovsky for the last two games, and he has just not looked good. Yeah, he looks cooked. Um, he's playing better tonight. Um, I, I will say the first goal I thought was pretty weak. Uh, the last two have not been near as bad and, uh, the Panthers are getting outshot 40 to 18 tonight. So, um, that's something at least, but, um, just overall, I, I haven't loved Bobrovsky's game. Uh, definitely last game anyways, in game four, I thought he looked horrible tonight. He's looked better, but I just don't think it's going to matter. Like this Bruins team's a wagon, dude. Yeah. They're just too good. So Bergeron's back tonight, which is big, big news for Bruins fans, obviously, regarding even if they lose this game, that's just good for, I think, even having his skates underneath him for round two, because obviously round two is going to be turned up a notch yet as well. Yeah, just getting back in the swing of things. Yeah, exactly. Um, All right. So that's all I really have for hockey content. Do you want to do a quick over under favorite least favorite? Then wrap her up. All right. We're going to do... 
uh, okay, sorry, I'm just reading an Elliot Friedman tweet there. Montour went to the bench or went to the room, but he's back. Uh, we're going to do overrated, underrated, favorite, least favorite things about the playoffs. So it can be anything at all. Um, and I admit, even though I came up with this topic, I haven't put a ton of thought into it. Do you have an overrated thing about the playoffs? I have something that's overrated by like, like analysts at large. Okay. I think because this has been a bit of a topic. I think people dramatically overestimate the ability to like statistically analyze matchups and stuff over a fucking five game sample. Like everyone understands in hockey that a four game sample doesn't matter until the playoffs. And then everybody pretends that 16 minutes actually means something with in terms of XG. Yeah, that's a that's a very good one. Or yeah, just like, oh, look at how blank defenseman shut down player. It's like, oh, it could have just been bad luck. Yeah, it could be one post or like people post like best lines and like I get why sites post it. You know, it's still good engagement. Like people do want to know and everything, but like the difference between a 50% XG and a 40% XG is like one good slot shot after four games. Like it's something that people need to remember is that like life doesn't really care about how you feel, right? Like we pretend that playoffs matter more and you can read into it because we arbitrarily decided the playoffs matter more but like just because we care about them more doesn't mean for 40 minutes all of a sudden is a really meaningful sample yeah absolutely um i've thought about it and i probably have two overrated i can't decide which one you know what no i'm gonna go ah yeah okay you tell me which one you think is more overrated. Number one, okay. X buildings fans are the loudest in the league. Oh, I hate and then that. <laughs> put whatever team you want because they say it about every goddamn team. Um, or B breaking I hate down all every- fan analysis, by the way. It's, <laughs> it's just like, so oh, bad. these guys have better or worse fans. Like, no, everybody's like uh, X percent of people are just assholes. It's just some of them happen to live in Toronto and some of them happen to live in Florida. Some of them happen to live in Edmonton. Like, I don't know. I hate yeah, that ex- stuff. Exactly. Um, the other one I hate is breaking down every single fucking face off and looking at everyone's face off. Like this dude's 16 for 22 on the night. So he's got the edge. It's like, that's not how this should work. You want to talk about small sample size when it comes to expected goals. A guy's, nightly face-off percentage as a reason that he's got the edge on that specific face-off is maybe the most mental thing I've ever seen. Yeah, that's another one. Speaking of, like, small samples and things not mattering more because we want them to. You've seen, like, it's been a pretty big thing from the private data companies to be like, oh, um, goals off of face-offs are up, like, 700% right now off previous years. Like, yeah, because we've played collectively, like, 50 games and weird shit can happen at that point. Like I kind of doubt anything systemically randomly changed from the playoffs started today. Yeah. Three pucks bounced in randomly off a of face off and that's your 400 of your 700%. Or <laughs> yeah, whatever. exactly. Cause it's infrequent but, too. So anything that happens infrequently, if you get four extra ones, all of a sudden it's just like a dramatic increase. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. What about underrated? underrated thing about the playoffs that's tough because i feel like a lot of the really good things about the playoffs are pretty properly rated yeah i 
I agree. Like, I was going to lean, like, just how crazy the first round is. But, like, I, I think that is properly. Everyone loves it. Even people yeah. who don't like hockey admit how awesome the first round is. Yeah, like, you see people who are either don't like hockey or, like, they're fans of hockey, but also tons of other things. And they just, yeah, like, they think the first round of the playoffs is fantastic. Or, like, people who do multi-sport stuff are just like, oh, yeah, first round of the NHL playoffs fucking slap. Because they do. Yeah. Um, hmm, I am struggling to think of one that's underrated, to be honest. I have two. Maybe I'll just go with even the fact that there just is hockey every other night, and you know, generally speaking, how many games are going to be. Like, obviously, scheduling with the NBA is disrupted this year's a little bit, where we're in a section right now where there's only two games on tonight or whatever, but for the first Week and a half of the first round, you know there's four games every night. For the entirety of the second round, basically, there's two games every night. And then for the third round, you know there's a game every other night, and you know exactly what series is going. I don't know if that's truly underrated, but that's what I'll go with, because I, I enjoy just knowing that it's a nice even, when is this team playing? Oh, every other day. Really, yeah, I'm with you on that. I'd say with, um, I think this is properly rated too, but just the fact that like everyone's into it is cool. Like people yep. who don't care about hockey, you can talk to at work, and they've all seen the Leafs game last night because playoffs or whatever. Yep, I was going to see the atmosphere just around like a city, just in general, right? Like we're not in Toronto or anything, but yeah, as you said, like I had everyone at my work knows I'm not a Leafs fan; they know I'm a Sens fan, but they know I love hockey and like I do this podcast and everything. I had seven different people come up to me when I got to work on Tuesday, going, "Did you see the game last night? Like, did you watch that game?" And like, like that's yeah. cool. Yeah, it's cool to see everybody get into it and like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just more fun. Yeah. Uh, all right, favorite. Favorite thing about the playoffs? Easy one for me here. Overtime hockey, baby. Okay, yeah, that that's an overpowered answer, but that's a good one. <laughs> it's, you could almost, no, like, I wanted to throw, try and, like, hot take into overrated, but it's just the best, dude. It is the yeah. best. And I'll even specify a little more 7 p.m. overtime hockey, so I don't have to wait up till 1 a.m. to watch this crap. But, <laughs> uh, but no, like, no, I mean, in all seriousness, like, it's just everything you talk about high intensity, everything seems so much. And like, sometimes you get the odd stinker where they go three overtimes because they don't want to make a mistake or whatever, but that still just kind of builds to the intensity of when a goal finally does go in. And maybe my favorite is the winner of an overtime playoff game because it's like just the elation you see from the team especially when it's at home like you just see the the building just absolutely erupt after like a double overtime goal or something like that like you just can't beat that feeling yeah that is that is elite uh did you have anything else for favorite so fairly related so like i was at uh the ranch or whatever like i guess for those who don't know it's just a bar nearby us and just watching the game for the Leafs game last uh, last weekend and, like, when the Leafs score in overtime, like, everybody's running around hugging each other. Like, no one, random people just, like, high-fiving. I got, like, coated in beer and didn't even care kind of thing just because of everyone losing their mind. So I'll just go with, like, generally watching a game in a group of people. Yeah, That absolutely. are, like, dialed into it. Yep, 100%. I mean, even, like... I remember having fun back in the 2017 Sens run when they went to the conference final. We were at our, like our buddy, like Charter's house, and I was the only one I think oh, there yeah, yeah, cheering yeah. 
for the Senators. I remember them scoring in game one of overtime against the Penguins. I'm going nuts. And everyone just like booing me in the living room, basically. Yeah. It's just like, but like that is just so much fun as well. But um, my least favorite. I, do you have a least favorite first? Because I got two again. I mean, speaking of the small sample stuff, like I'm a very skeptical person and I feel like that's driven most of what I've done well in hockey. I'm probably too skeptical of things, but I think a lot of analysis is fucking horrible. Yeah. I mean, I was going to do like something like the, like the, the amount of like shit they put on block shots. Like I saw one today about like, they were praising the Florida team for having six block shots in the first period. It's like, that just means they got outplayed. Yeah. Well, and the analysis, cause stuff like that, you're talking about face-offs too, because Hockey analysis isn't great on TV in general. Um, but then in the playoffs, it magnifies everything. So it makes the bad like so much worse, right? Yeah, exactly. And like, I will say too, like good hockey analysis, I find sometimes I uh, there's the, the every mainstream TV network can do a better job. That's not what I'm trying to say here. But I think yeah. it is tough to like, because like what you and I find entertaining is going to be a lot different than the casual fan, which is their target audience, right? And like I will always admit when I complain about watching an intermission show, I fully understand I am not the target audience because there's 96% of people, 98% of people you could probably put on the intermission panel and I'm going to go, I don't feel like I'm learning much here. Yeah. But like the casual fan, you know, whether it's learning something or just wants to simply be entertained for the eight minutes, which is fine as well. There's, there's value in that, you know, that that's what really matters, but sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Do whatever makes you happy. I don't find it entertaining either. Well, that's the thing. And like, I don't know, I, I guess like the TNT one has been a little looser and like people are having some fun with that, which is fine. I don't know. I haven't watched much of it or whatever, but yeah, like I just, I feel like the um yeah the, the stuff we have right now doesn't even do a great job at, at that right so yeah. and it's sad because like there's a lot of very obviously awesome analysts out there you oh see, yeah like an Alice and Luke and breakdown and all that stuff like there's a lot of really really good stuff out there but I don't know if it, what I get, don't get to is when people say like you're right that most people don't want what we want and like you probably wouldn't even be good if you did an intermission that hardcore fans like us would love because you would just turn off so many people but like i don't know when people say oh it's more about entertainment like it's not like we have a canadian skip bayless who's entertaining as fuck but like clearly just playing a character right yeah like it's not like this it's super entertaining anyways no like my problem with well yeah like my issue with sportsnet is they I don't know. Like they try to go to the more casual route now or whatever, but it's just like, yeah, I just look at watch him go. It's like, like the other day, Kevin Bieksa was praising Luke Shen for standing in between the benches as the Tampa Bay players were chirping Matthew Nyes or whatever. And it's just like, this isn't why Toronto came back. What the hell are we doing here? Yeah. And it's just, it's just, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. This is probably the like analytics side of it. But like so little of that matters and is interesting, right? Like, I don't know. When there's like a fight and like a really passionate debate or whatever, like it's cool to see everybody mic'd up and in there. But I don't know. When you're yeah, you're trying to provide legitimate analysis around a dude standing between two people. It's like, well, no. 
Like, I not a, yeah, not even no. analysis. You're like extrapolating that to be like, this is why they brought him in and this is why they did something after. It's like, no, this, you can point it out and be like, hey, this was good on him or whatever. But even that, like, and but like, it's no, you don't have to go further than that, you know? Yeah, exactly. You can just leave it at that. And like, honestly, you don't even need to bring it up. Like, it's cool to get down to the game level when Luke Shen's in the middle of it. Like, that's cool to see. And like, you know, Leaf fans will get mad at Tampa. Tampa will get mad at the Leafs in those scenarios and stuff. Like that kind of stuff is awesome. But like that, you don't have to analyze that. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah, and honestly, like I do think like panels like Sportsnet are at their best when it's a play that guys don't agree on. Whether it's you know something like a hit or even just you know who's at blame for a goal or something like that. When there's actually just like a little bit of debate back and forth, I think is makes for at least a little more entertaining content than just here's what a veteran did. This was cool, and everyone goes, "Yeah, that was cool." Yeah. It's like who is who's benefiting from this. Yeah, what do we do with just standing around being like, oh, yeah, you're right about this thing that doesn't actually really matter. Yeah, exactly. So um, before I get to my least favorite, you want to hear a headline. Elliot Friedman tweets, Jack Johnson replaces Kale McCarr for Colorado. Oh, yikes. That's <laughs> tough. <laughs> what a replacement. And sure enough, there is what 60 replies and 100 favorites. <laughs> Biggest downgrade in history. Best defenseman in the NHL for the worst defenseman in the NHL. That actually might be one of the biggest downgrades in the history of the league. Yeah, Colorado improves their lineup. These guys really are. I think so. (laughs) That's Uh, a gigantic win. Yeah. Um, I think my least favorite, I, I can't decide again between the two, is either A, how much we applaud people from coming back from injury way too soon, especially the ones of like, like all of the, even the broken bone. Like I know people always go, well, it's a broken bone. It won't kill them. It's like, no, but like, there's a lot of stories. If you talk to enforcers and stuff, about people being like hooked on painkillers for their life because of this. And I'm not saying one dude playing through a broken wrist or whatever is going to be hooked for the rest of his life, but it's just the idea that like, we're praising these dudes. Right. And yeah. Well, also but head injuries teams, is the biggest one. Yeah, that gets really sketchy really fast. The other thing is, like, most teams, if a dude's at 90%, you're better off playing someone else. Yeah, like, there's a very... and Unless it's your top-line guy, and maybe on some teams, your second line. But when they, especially with defensemen, as soon as you get to your third or fourth defenseman, your third or fourth defenseman, 85%, is not better than your seventh defenseman, probably. Almost certainly not, no. And same with, yeah, your seventh best, eighth best forward who plays a checking third line role. There's no way him at 80% is more valuable than whoever your 13th forward is. Or no, not a chance. N- not even that. Your whoever your 10th forward is moved up to the third line and your 13th forward playing those seven minutes on the fourth line. Yeah. Yeah, that sucks too, because like it is cool stories to see people where it's just like battle through that kind of stuff, but like it's so clearly a bad thing to glorify. We just have to stop. I think, even though it does make for cool stories. Yeah, like, and again, I feel like we've gotten better over the past couple of years. You know, especially like glorifying it or whatever. Yeah, but it's still, it, it's still not great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still pretty bad. Yeah, um, I'm actually trying to, I've, for whatever reason, lost my other one that was least favorite. So 
I will just sit on that one, I guess. Um, I I genuinely can't remember what it is for some reason. Huh. Oh, well, I'm sure it'll come to me at midnight tonight or whatever, but that seems like a good point to wrap the podcast up. Um, thank you everyone so much for listening. As always, we will talk to you uh, next time. You can find me on Twitter at NHL Sense and Stuff. Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. All my work at lastwordonhockey.com. Chase is, net, uh, is the actionnetwork.com as well as the Substack, which you can find on Twitter. Uh, you can also listen to my other podcast, The Last Word on Sense podcast. Uh, don't have a new podcast out ne- this week, but next week I should have a pretty big guest on. So I'm excited for that. So definitely you can listen to that wherever you listen to this one. Uh, thank you everyone so much for listening and we will back, be back with you on uh, Monday.